we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. There's a reason solitary confinement is an extreme punishment. This is Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. The Surgeon General recently published a detailed study of loneliness in the United States, even before the onset of COVID-19. Approximately half of U.S. adults reported having measurable levels of loneliness. Social isolation and loneliness increase the risk for premature death, heart disease, stroke by about 30%. That's the same as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Socially isolated older adults had a higher chance of developing dementia than their peers. A big study cited in the Surgeon General's report struck me as, well, a little rich. The study, which was done before COVID, said the lack of social connection may increase susceptibility to viruses and respiratory illnesses. Where was the reliance on this report by the experts when they locked us in our homes for COVID? The federal government's solution to this deadly loneliness epidemic is its plan to establish a national strategy to advance social connection. Maybe this is exactly what's wrong, since the great society programs of the 1960s pushed the federal government's ever-expanding push to regulate our lives. It made us go farther from depending on each other and push us apart. This national strategy includes, quote, cultivating a culture of connection, close quote. But then why do the powerful in Washington, D.C., the media, and these various hustlers of all races and colors insist on telling us that we have inborn bias and manipulate us to dislike those who are not of our own skin color or sexual preference? And one more thing, it's curious and, and actually downright strange that simultaneously, Artificial intelligence is promoted as the next best thing in medicine, even replacing mental health therapists. Ironically, research has shown that the patient-physician relationship can be more therapeutic than some medicines. Call me old-fashioned, but I don't want to talk to a machine. Even the drive through at the jack-in-a-box has real people behind the microphone. My guest and I will discuss these things and a whole lot more tonight. Dr. Renee Kohansky is a board-certified psychiatrist with a fellowship training in forensic psychiatry. Dr. Kohansky has enjoyed a broad-based practice in academic, community, and forensic psychiatry. She's been a board examiner for the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at the Medical College of Georgia and the University of Connecticut Medical Schools. 
She's also served on the editorial advisory board of MD Edge Psychiatry. And finally, Dr. Kohansky currently serves on the board of directors for the American Associ- the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kohansky. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Singleton. It is such a pleasure to be here. And I, I just love your open. It's like I, I was taking notes as you were talking. I'm thinking, oh, I like that one. I like that one. I like that one. What am I going to dig into? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to dig into as much as we possibly can. Somehow when I do these shows, I think, oh, how are we going to fill an hour? And then suddenly the hour's over. So here we go. The first thing I'm going to ask you is what got you interested in medicine and then secondarily psychiatry? Well, you know, it's funny. Somehow you get an idea in your head when you're a kid and you don't know where the origin is, but I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, And it's maybe it's sort of like a, a, a familial ontological thing, but it was just always there from the moment I existed and, uh, and life takes us on some funny paths, and I didn't directly get there, but I ultimately got there. And as to psychiatry, that's a funny story, because I never had any interest in being a psychiatrist, and uh, God has a very, very big sense of humor. I was a chemistry major with a math minor, um, never took a psychology course in my entire life. In fact, I went to medical school to be a pediatrician, and my first rotation in medical school was peds. And, uh, and it was at St. Vincent's Hospital in the village, right at the time of the AIDS epidemic. And we had a lot of little, little kiddos that were boarding there um, that were HIV positive. And I was there as a third year medical student with no peripheral access to these little guys. And I was trying to get these, these get, get uh, lined in these little guys and couldn't do it and doing scalp, scalp, scalp lines. And I was thinking, oh my God, these little guys are screaming and yelling and I don't like this. And what on earth am I gonna do? And then my next rotation was psychiatry, which I had no interest in doing. I thought, why would anybody go to medical school to be a psychiatrist? My first patient was a woman who had given birth um, and insisted that she was the Prince of Romania, and I was hooked. And there you go. <laughs> oh, well, what a story. So starting IVs and little kids turn you off. I can see yeah. why. Well, I'll tell you, next to watching the vet start an IV and my tiny, tiny little chihuahua, I think starting IVs in babies has to be cringeworthy. Little HIV positive kids with no peripheral access. Some of them had been abandoned at the hospital. And it was just one, you know, just at the height of it, where we didn't really understand. It's like GRID had just been identified, had just been changed from, from GRID, which was mm-hmm. gay-related immunodeficiency, uh, when they didn't quite know what it was and had been identified as HIV. So it was really right in the 80s. And was very, very interesting time in medicine. So anyway, so then I ended up in psychiatry. I loved it. I just loved it. It was like, oh my gosh, what an interesting, you know, what an interesting, interesting field. And it was right, it was right in the decade of the brain. And it was just, it was, it's a career that's been wonderful to me. I loved psychiatry where it was. I don't like where it is today, by the way. I'm glad that I've, that I've had a chance to educate a whole, you know, a whole generation of, 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 
of young people, young physicians. I don't like where it is today, and I'm going to keep my mouth open so that I can have a say in what we're doing and where it's going. Um, but it's been uh, it's been a wonderful ride, and, and have a lot to say about your topic. Well, good, good, good. Well, as I said, the Surgeon General put out this study on loneliness. The first thing I saw when thought of when I saw this headline, I'm I'm a big movieophile, and one scene in a movie with Steve Martin. It was called The Lonely Guy. And this movie's probably was in the 80s. And he walks into a nice restaurant and he goes up to the maitre d' stand and he says, may I have a table for one? And very quietly. And then the maitre d' quite loudly says, table for one. And then everyone in the restaurant turns around and stares at him and the fork suddenly got quiet. And I thought, wow, so what's wrong with being by yourself? So I have kind of a a two-part question. One, what is loneliness? Because, you know, you can be lonely when you're in a crowd, lonely when you're by yourself, and kind of what is it? So that's actually, you You took me by surprise. I didn't expect that question. And I think it's, a, I, I love that you asked that. I think it's a really good distinction to make saying what is loneliness versus I'm alone or, uh, or I feel lonely. Uh, so I think, I think one should say um, I have an experience of feeling like I'm alone versus I'm lonely. I'm lonely. Um, and let me let me let me make that distinction. Mm-hmm. So people people have an experience of of not having companionship or of not feeling connected, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily alone in the world or that they don't have anybody or that they're isolated. And I think that they should actually start and, and they should actually start making that distinction for themselves, that they shouldn't say I'm all alone or I have nobody or or make this catastrophic conclusion about where they are in life. And that's a problem that I think people tend to do. So that when you have a feeling like there's nobody out there and that there's that there you're just this person that's isolated all by yourself, that is extremely demoralizing. And I want to absolutely say to people that you are not alone. We are not alone. We as human beings are not alone. We're not meant to be alone. And don't, 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 don't allow yourself to fall into that trap. There is always, always people for us to reach out to. And this whole COVID crisis, which was an artificial crisis that was created, has led us into this false belief that we are isolated in these little silos and that we can't be with other people. So let me just dispel that. We and, and by the way, I just want to say the other thing that I really love that you said as a forensic psychiatrist, you say something that I've that I've said as a forensic psychiatrist working in the criminal justice system that, yeah, the worst thing you can do to people, the worst punishment that you can do is put people in the hole, put them in social isolation. So we are not meant to be social isolate, socially isolated. And anybody who starts conceptualizing themselves as being alone, let me just dispel that. There is always a way out of that. Even if you're somebody who lives alone, there is always people to be had and there are always social connections to be made and there are ways to do it. And the first place that I'm going to say 
and if you're not if you're not a spiritual person, that's okay. But the first and easiest place to reach out and start that connect connection is either with your church or with your synagogue. That's always a really good place to begin. Wow, you know it is. I'm glad you said that because there is a difference of being alone. I think a lot of us like to be alone. You want to be away from all the hubbub and having to deal with other people, having to comb your hair and, you know, so you just decide today's a day to be alone and you actually feel very good about yourself and loving on yourself, but it doesn't mean you're lonely. Right. Right. But I also think that it's important for us um, as people to get away from the social isolation that we've been made victim of for the last three years and to start stretching those muscles again because we've been so locked down that it's a little bit difficult and people have maybe forgotten how to use some social skills and how to get out there and connect and we've become very very isolated and that experience of isolation has led to the experience of being lonely so the way to undo it is to start connecting again with people. And even if you don't have people to connect with, it's it's kind of sort of like um, just getting, getting back out there and doing it again and finding ways to connect. And then the question is, okay, well, how do I connect? Where do I connect? And how do I do that if I've never done that before? And we can talk about how to do that. Well, and one of the things when you talk about that and getting out, I remember reading a book, I can't remember the title, and it was about architecture and home and kind of how people design cities and whatnot, that there's something called a third space. You have home, you have work, and then this third space. And that's what places like the local coffee shop or Starbucks, probably one of the reasons the whole Starbucks thing took off, not because the coffee was the greatest coffee in the world, but they allowed you to just sit there. You weren't rushed in, rushed out. You could sit with your cup of coffee and nobody said anything. You'd begin to recognize the same people that were there at the same time you were there, that type of thing. And when you talk about getting out again, and and we will go into solutions uh, a little later, that um, that's one thing you can do. You can go in there anonymously. It's not like the Steve Martin movie where everybody's going to point your finger at you because there's a lot of people in there who are sitting by themselves. So you don't feel like a freak. Right, right. Uh, the other thing that you said that I thought was kind of interesting was uh, about the government. Uh, it was sort of <laughs> cringeworthy. I think whenever I hear anything about the government, it's like, you know what, the government is not there to help. And if the government is doing something, I want to be doing the opposite of what they're doing. <laughs> well, I, I think on that note, it'll be time to take our first break. It is true. Everything the government touches turns to poo-poo. And uh, we certainly don't want them insinuating themselves into our lives even more. That They've already done enough damage. Thank you very much. <laughs> so... 
what I'm going to talk about. Speaking of COVID, there are a couple of good things that came out of COVID, and one of them is Cofix RX. Now, we have talked about it before. It's a nasal spray that's a really strong antiviral powerhouse, really. When you put it up your nose, it destroys germs and bacteria. Very simple. And most of these germs that ultimately give us a lower respiratory tract infection come in through the nose. So if you can nip it in the bud, that's a good thing. Now, we all know nothing's 100%, but it's like an airbag in a car. You want to reduce your chances, reduce the impact that that virus is going to spread throughout your body. And even if you do get sick, perhaps you'll get less sick because it stops most of those viruses. One of the things I love about Cofix RX is that it was invented in the USA and it's made in the USA. And keep that in mind, especially with all this stuff with China hoarding drugs and our drug shortages and whatnot. So Cofix is sold at drugstores, health food stores, and we even have a button on our page that says Cofix RX. And just click that on. You can read more about it and even buy it at the website if you choose to. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. So, we are back with Dr. Kohansky talking about loneliness. One thing I want to ask about, since when people were put on lockdown with COVID, and, you know, more and more people are putting out these studies showing, you know, that schooling went way behind, that people were getting a little crazed, alcohol was up, anxiety was up, etc. And a lot of people who weren't people who were hooked on social media became hooked on social media. And I kind of look at social media as being antisocial. But now it, it's a toxic obsession, and it seems to me like it leads to social isolation. What do you think, doctor? Oh, that's good. It's <laughs> good. It's a good angle. Uh, yeah, because it, it's a dopamine hit. 
So it's an immediate gratification. It's a dopamine hit. It's a pseudo connection. That's not a real connection. It's like um, any kind of any kind of addictive behavior. So it can serve a purpose, right? It can it can uh, it can it can serve you, or you can be its its uh, at its mercy. So it can serve a function, but it can you can be at its mercy. So here's here's what here's my take on it. And you you you're sort of alluding to this before we were getting together on this. Um, I you and I agree. I believe in interpersonal reaction. I think inter interpersonal action. I think that when you connect with people. You know, this is how children grow up, by the way. This is how children, this is how children develop. We don't know the magic of what happens, but, you know, little baby sees mommy and, and all these rich neuronal connections occur and, you know, ba baby smiles at mommy. Yay, all this great stuff happens. Brain lights up. You know, if you were to look at an fMRI, it would be on fire. So, so the thing, the magic that happens is in this connection between human beings. And there's no way that a computer can substitute that. We can use a computer to help augment and, and a computer can be our servant if we let it. Uh, so we can use computers to be tools for us. But the thing, the magic that happens here, and, and, and you also alluded to this, by the way, um, in your open, when you're talking about medications and therapy, and I could spend the next two hours talking about that. But the magic that happens, the magic that happens in all of life and everything is in the interactions between human beings. The magic that happens in therapies and the interactions between human beings. The magic that's happening right now is between you and I. It's not between, it's not between, you know, between watching a television. The thing that makes your show special is, be is because you're interacting with live people. So when you're doing something on the computer, um, it's 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 a very poor substitution for this kind of thing. That that's just not going to work. It'll it'll give you some sort of hit, but it's not going to substitute for for having a connection with a live human being where there's some kind of um, real life, real world dynamic that's occurring. There's nothing that's going to substitute for that. You can get a weak second. You know, you can get a poor a poor a poor substitute but there's nothing that substitutes for that dynamic people die of and it's really cool that you took that you tie this into loneliness because that's the difference between maybe being alone and loneliness loneliness is where you're not having that interaction when you're not connecting with people so you to circle back to your point what's loneliness loneliness is when you're not able to have that connection with with people you can always remedy it it's always remedy, remediate. It can be remediated. <laughs> That's the good news. That's the good news. You can remediate it. Well, it's the the whole social media thing. It really it gets to me because it started. I mean, I was well, well, well into adulthood. But I mean, I'm on Twitter. I have Facebook, but I never use it. But I do put things out on Twitter. But nothing like oh here's how beautiful I look today, you know, kind of all that kind of stuff where half the stuff to me seems to be fake. And what kind of threw me over the edge with all this and the social, so-called social technology is people texting each other. I realize it's convenient, but 
Whatever happened to picking up the phone and talking to somebody? Right, and it serves a function. I mean, there's a definite function to texting. It, it, it has a place and it has a purpose. And, and the whole social media has a purpose, but it does not replace this. And it doesn't replace live interaction. And it never can. Well, it's really sad because it seems like a lot of people think it can. And... <laughs> I mean, have you specifically, I mean, obviously you can't give away anything about a patient, but just within the psychiatric community, within your own practice, did you see an uptick in people actually coming in for help after COVID who maybe had a low grade as what it CDC has a name for it, which I can't remember, but kind of where you just have any degree of mental health issue and you had this issue before and then COVID brought it out to the surface. Have you seen that? So, I mean, this is, everybody reads about it. COVID brought mental health issues out, like, a, what's the expression? Everybody says steroids, like everything on steroids. COVID, COVID was, for mental health issues went up tremendously during COVID, because as we have said through this whole program, social isolation is is toxic to everything. So yeah, my I saw everything got worse during COVID. All any any kind of mental health issue from the most benign adjustment disorder to psychotic disorder to uh, addiction to every single every single mental health disorder, whatever it was from the benign to the malignant got worse across the board. And people who had no history of anything who were, you know, relatively stable in their in their own lives had symptoms because this was an unnatural, an unnatural situation that was, in my opinion, um, deliberately compounded. And the, and and even people with the best mental health could not sustain this kind of um, a constant fear porn that was being inundated on top of the social isolation. So, I mean, it was really an unnatural situation for people, even with the best mental health and the best coping mechanisms. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, God bless all of us that we, that we got through that. And now is a time for all of us to recover and, and, be kind to ourselves because we've all been through this incredibly difficult period. And now is the time to get back out into the community and to connect with each other and to know that we are not alone and that we will all be okay. And we can recover from this if we just, just keep connecting with one another. Well, one of the things that is so bothersome to me is to see these statistics on adolescents where up to half of adolescents have anxiety or depression or feel alone. And We're feeding them garbage, Dr. Singleton. This is the oh. thing that we are feeding them such garbage. If we don't get garbage in, garbage out, we have got to get a handle on this. And we have just, I mean, really, we have got to start feeding our children better better stuff for their minds. Well, it's what's interesting to me 
Okay. And, and it's, I bet it's especially the one exciting thing in psychiatry now or how brain scans are getting more and more precise and you can actually see parts of the brain that light up with certain emotions that it, it helps make the brain slightly less of the amazing mystery that it is that we have these kids and all of us, you know, whose teenage years were perfect, you know, everybody has these <laughs> anxieties, I'm not cute enough, I'm not smart enough, you know, whatever it happens to be. But, and the same, so you have kids where it seems like that's part of growing up is to be anxious, depressed, confused, and they're pushing transgenderism and stuff. Oh. You know, they, I'll tell you something, I used to have a dream. It was very strange when I was in college. And at the time I was in college where I went to Stanford and only about one fifth the student body were women. And it was, you know, still kind of a man's world where I was doing backhand springs down a pier. And then when I emerged from the backhand spring, I was a man. I, you know, obviously it was like job opportunities or whatever that, and I was doing gymnastics at the time, you know, so I could pull it all together. I'm imagining imagining now, if I told somebody that dream, would I be shipped shipped off to a transgender clinic? Oh, oh, that was a dream. I missed that. Oh, oh, no, no. (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. No, it was a dream. <laughs> oh, that's a cool dream. Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, here's the thing that, that like, here's where my profession, where I start to say, you know, we, we got to get a handle on my profession is there, there's, there's things in child development called object permanence. There's parts, you know, there's, you know, there's a whole Piaget's, you know, areas of like, you know, when, when children are developing and when, um, you know, there's magical thinking and there's, you know, they, like certain things happen at certain age. If you if you look at a, child, a young child, like there's, um, you know, at certain ages, they they believe in magical thinking. So if, you know, if, for example, if you look at a picture, you might believe that the person looking at you in the picture uh, can see you. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not till you get to certain ages that parts of the brain are fully developed. So for, for people to start, pushing all kinds of gender ideology in these young ages when they're still magical thinking. It's like, did psychiatry forget about child developmental theory? uh, You know, I just, I don't understand. Well, actually I do understand. It's like, come on people, let's, let's just come back to basics. Let's just come back to basics. Let's come back to basic medicine. Let's come back to, you know, embryology. Let's come back to, you know, what happens in embryology, let's come back to developmental biology, and let's let's get a little bit of sanity back in what we're doing. We can recognize that that there are some rare things that happen, but rare things happen rarely, you know, and, and let's get some credibility back into medicine, because if we lose all of our credibility, how are we going to be helping people with some very, very serious problems? I mean, there's really, you know, people have People have schizophrenia. People have major depressive disorder. People, you know, people are struggling, and we really can help people struggle. And by the way, going back to medication, um, 
you know, medicine's more than therapy. I, I am a big believer in the power of therapy. I would much rather spend a half hour talking to somebody and finding out what's going on in their life and changing things on a cellular level through therapy than through, you know, necessarily, you know, being so fast to push medication. Well, it seems, and and that's at all levels. And I guess it it just it it saddens me to see these things happening to kids who, like you say, their mind is still forming, and you know, and highly suggestible. Yes, highly and, suggestible. And, and so many times that's and why this kind of ties into this whole topic. So many times these kids report being lonely and having no friends. And it's kind of like, how is changing your gender going to give you friends? And for adults to encourage that, I I just think is criminal. Well, and then there's a whole, I mean, again, there's a small percentage, but then there's, the, and again, we this could be a whole show, but there's a small percentage of, of adults that have a kind of what I would call Munchausen by proxy kind of thing going on. You know, and you got to tease that out, and then there's a whole. But then there's a whole. But you know, people explain, yeah. explain. Excuse me, explain Munchausen by proxy for the listeners. Some of them might not know what that is. So again, that so uh, so uh, a Munchausen by Pro- Munchausen's disease or factitious disorder is um, is a is a disorder where people uh, where people deliberately harm themselves for the sheer purpose of assuming the role of a patient. So you could have somebody who would inject themselves, for example, with bacteria so that they could get sick, so that they could be in the hospital and be taken care of. And that the whole purpose of that is actually just to be in the role of a patient. And in Munchausen's by proxy, is where, for example, a, a mother or a father might harm their child. Uh, you actually saw that in Sixth Sense. They, they, if you remember that movie, they, they, one of the characters had a, they were injuring their, they killed their child by Munchausen by proxy. So in a Munchausen by proxy, the idea is that the parent subjects the child to, um, to an illness for the role of, of the child being ill and the parent is like getting the attention because the child is ill. And I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that that's what's necessarily happening here, happening here, but in any, when you have any, any sudden uptick in something, there's going to be a percentage where you want to look and see, is that part of the phenomena of what's going on? Um, And believe me, it, you know, rare things happen rarely. So that's a rare thing that's going to happen rarely. But, um, you know, you got to, you know, as a forensic psychiatrist, I always look at weird things. So that's, you know, that's a weird <laughs> thing that you want to look at in this, because this, this whole thing is exploding at such an incredible rate. You have to say, well, what's going on here? What percentage of the population really has this disorder, this rare, rare disorder? And, you know, what's going on? Now, I think the greatest the greatest thing that's probably happening is that parents want to take care of their children. That's what all parents want to do. Parents want their children to do well in life. And so if they think their kid is suffering and so-called experts are saying, hey, this is the thing that's causing your child to suffer. Parents want to make their children do better. And they say, oh, okay, you're the expert. You know what's going on. I guess you must know what you're talking about. And they listen to the so-called experts. Hmm. Well, on that note, we'll take our break now. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about some access to mental health and is uh, 
artificial intelligence the answer, robot doctors the answer, and what are some of the things that people can do, practical things that people can do. So when we get back, we'll get into all that. I just want to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. You can hear Pulse every weekday at 5 with an encore at 11 p.m., that's Eastern Time, and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. You can listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. The best part for me is that the shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours, and the episodes are on lots of networks, Apple and Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So make it easy. Bookmark americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. The other thing I love about Pulse is that it's a different doctor every day. Mondays, it's me, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. Tuesdays, we've got concerned doctors, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesdays with Dr. Peter McCulloch and Malcolm Outloud. Thursdays with Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays with epidemiologist Dr. Harvey Reich. And One of the other fun things is we now have Nurses Out Loud, and they're on Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. So lots of medical stuff out there for you. Medicine and politics, strange bedfellows, but we've got them and we're here to talk about them. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Falker with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. 
Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. So, back to the show. Before we uh, left for the break, I said I wanted to talk about artificial intelligence. I had read an article where they were using artificial intelligence for mental health visits, and I was kind of stunned. I was stunned at that, uh, what was it, three years ago when a robot with a TV screen, went in a patient's room to tell him he was dying of cancer. And I thought that was bad enough. And I'm just finding it hard to picture talking to a chat bot with your mental health issues. But who knows? Maybe it's better. You, The bot won't judge you. I don't know. What do you think, doctor? <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> well i think that's an answer <laughs> um I, I i actually think that the ai is probably good for a couple of things i think it would be good um and and i had in anticipation of this i read up a little bit on it i think it would be good for administering some scales. So I know that a lot of times when I have somebody that I'm coming in for a new evaluation and I've done my, uh, you know, my, my, my pre-call because I, I like to do a pre-call on folks and I have a sense of kind of where I might want to um, dig a little bit. So I might send out some scales. So I think chat AI could probably be good at digging into some scales. Like, you know, like there's like a, I'd like to use the uh, MDQ, which is sort of a bipolar screen. Might be good at doing some screening work just because I, just because it might drill down um, in terms of differential diagnosis. It's not, it's still not going to, I don't know. It's not going to nuance. I want to sit in a room with somebody and I want to be with somebody and, um, and I don't care. You know what? There's something, you know this, Dr. Singleton, there's something that you get, one, for practicing a long time, and two, for sitting in a space with somebody. So, yeah, you know, a, a chat AI can get that, um, can maybe get a differential diagnosis. But sometimes you sit with somebody and you smell something or you feel something, and I can't tell you what it is, but you just get it. So I can I can send the chat AI to do my screening tools and maybe you know maybe like pull out something or if you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy which is really really lends itself to very formulaic things I think a chat AI could be really really good at that and I think if you got nothing you know in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king if you got nothing it might it might help if you if you just got absolutely nothing it might help. Um, and they talk about these moderated chat AIs, which might be okay, but I'm, I just I just think that there is something about having about sitting with somebody and being there um, that no that no algorithm can do. No algorithm. I don't care how good the algorithm. Well, no, that's not true. I think algorithms are good, uh, but the human touch, especially in psychiatry, there's just the human interaction. There's nothing replaces the human interaction. Well, it's interesting to me because, <clears throat> excuse me, 
one of the things in courtroom drama, and I don't mean TV drama, the drama of, of litigating and questioning people in the courtroom is oh, something called <laughs> something called demeanor evidence. And this is in fact why they were worried about having um uh tele court hearings during COVID, because actually seeing the person fidgeting in their chair or the look in their eye or the glance off to the side, whatever, is so important in trying to decide if they were telling the truth. And it seems to me that that would be the same in psychiatry, not even necessarily that they were fudging, but just what was really more important to them, you know, that the beginning part was small talk and they got to the real meat of it. And you could tell that it was the meat of it by the way they shifted in their chair, all that stuff. It seems like you'd have to be in person to even, um, even, even not even telemedicine, but here's some interesting little tidbits. So, um, so I went to a course on malingering once and in the, in the course on malingering, I think it was Phil Resnick, who's like one of the predominant, I can't get the word, really good forensic psychiatrist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like auditory is better for malingering than visual. So you do better when you listen to somebody than when you watch somebody to detect malingering. That's like when somebody's faking it. Um, that that's one little one little juicy thing. And then another thing was um, I had a friend who was an OBGYN and what she liked to do when she was trying to figure out where somebody was, like if somebody called to say that they were in labor is she would put that, put that person on the phone. And by listening to them, I guess it's the same thing on the listening, listening to how bad they sounded. She would say she could determine like how far they were in their labor. So she would always say, put the person on the phone, let me hear them talking. And by the way they were sounded on the phone, she would determine, you know, okay, we're, we're, we're serious in this labor or, eh, you know, it could wait another, it could wait another hour or so. So, there's that. Now, could could AI, they could probably get to the point where AI would be sophisticated enough that you could you could get audio, you know, metrics that could pick those kinds of things up. But do, now, do we want to get there? <laughs> That's a very good question that um, more and more, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do a show one day and people are going to be forced to listen to it, Marilyn's Pet Peeves, but here's a preview. <laughs> one of them is on commercials on TV now. They don't have real people. They have these claymation creepy things and cartoon creepy. things. And it's almost like getting us use to not looking at people, real people. Right, right. Right. And, and, you know, so having an AI shrink, I don't know. But like you said, I don't like it. I don't like it. No, no, no. uh, No, no. Mm -mm. Yeah. Don't you feel like we're we're being we are being gradually trained for all these different things? Like, you know, we're being weaned off. We're being weaned off the dollar. We're being weaned off of meat. We're being weaned Mm -hmm. off. of Yeah. And and the thing is, it's it's not even subtle anymore. I remember in the '60s, the big thing was subliminal messages, and you know that were flashed too fast for you to notice it in movies or TVs. And they, and I mean, and they really did have it. And um, you know, it, but it was kind of to me the first conspiracy theory that I ever heard about. 
And now it's not even subliminal. It's just right out there. And I'll tell you when I first noticed it was watching football game where they, when they talk about the player, they flash up his picture. Well, one of the stations, and I don't remember which one, they don't use the real pictures. It's sort of an avatarish looking picture. It's it's more of a drawing of the player. And it's like, why don't you show the guy's picture? It's it's just, but it's one more thing to kind of train you to not look at real people. And it's so of- here's what we do, Marilyn. We we push back. We do not give up the fight. We keep our optimism. We keep our optimism. We go back to the point of your show, which is loneliness. We engage. We we continue to engage. And if we're feeling lonely or if we find ourselves getting isolated, we pay attention. We know that we have the ability to reconnect. The most important thing I think that we can do is if we are people of faith, and, and even if we're not, maybe now is the time to see if we could discover that. We connect with our church. We connect with our synagogue. We look to see if we can find something bigger than ourselves. Because I think now is a time where people are starting to lose that connection with each other and lose that connection with higher power. And I think these things make a difference. I think we keep we keep faith. We keep optimism. We don't give up. Who I you know I, I mean I'm not I'm not the best person with historic quotes. You might be better, but but what was that historic quote? Don't give up. Never ever give up. Oh, I and many variations on that theme. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And and what do they say? And I can't remember who said this or this one was anonymous, is that a smooth mountain is harder to climb. And that's kind of food for thought. So it's kind of like, okay, we need these ups and downs. We need these crags for us to climb on in order to get to the top. And, and we are up yeah. for it. We are up for it as a people. So the, you know what? So we've got all, so so good, good for this show. Good for this show for bringing consciousness, awareness. Good for everybody listening to this. We we need to stay awake. We need to stay aware. And, and we need to have optimism because it's very easy to get demoralized and to get caught in the morass of this. But we don't have to do that. Stay conscious. Stay aware. Stay aware of your mental health. Be conscious of it. Um, oh, you know what I will tell you really important to do? Stay physically active. Mm-hmm. People people need to start developing. If you don't have it, don't worry. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. If you don't have a program of physical activity, start getting it into your life now. I think that's so important. And more and more, there's, there's uh, studies that come out. Just today, I read something about women who exercise, and, and it's not going to the gym, just do some physical activity, have, and I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was quite a bit less chance of getting Parkinson's. So there's something positive about movement, getting outside yet again, COVID, stay in your house, stay in your house, don't go outside and get the sunshine. Don't go outside and see the bugs and the birds <laughs> chirping. I, you know, please, that was so sick. Um, what are some of the things that uh, I can you believe it or even winding down in time, but we've got about five minutes for you to one say some of the things to avoid, like, you know, I don't know, watching too much TV or whatever, and some of the positive things, which some of which you've mentioned, 
But um, even some, if we can think of some more practical things that people can do to kind of ward off that sense that they're by themselves and they're a man or woman alone. I love simplicity. So the simpler the thing, the better the thing. Life is life is actually elegant in its simplicity. So when we start to make things complicated, uh, that's when we we can really stop and say, wait, 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 nope, too complicated. Much more, much more simple. So goals, set simple goals so that you know that you're achieving that you that you've that you've hit your mark and give yourself check marks. So um, I like to make my bed in the morning. I think getting up and making your bed is a really good achievement and it starts the day on a positive note. It sounds silly. It sounds stupid, but it actually is, is a way to just get things going. If you're not physically active now, get physically active uh, with, with simple programs. If you're a lot of, there are a lot of insurance programs, like a lot of gyms will accept Medicare. Uh, I belong to a ridiculously obscenely expensive gym that will that takes Medicare for insurance, and they actually have a lot of programs. They have something called the Aurora program for people over sixty-five, and it is an extremely wonderful program. It's extremely inclusive for people over sixty-five, um, and people who you know a lot of the older people who come in who've never exercised in their life. It's welcoming every single person that I, like a lot of people who are over 65 who go into the program are shy. They've never done it before. And I've seen people come into that program, not interacting. And all of a sudden they're extremely out, you know, they're, they're part of a group and the program is geared to getting people engaged. So I would look at local gyms, look to see what kind of this is. They have it in all ages, but you can start with something as ambitious as that. Or you could start with something as simple as a little walk and you could start with something, depending on whatever age it is, just some sort of simple physical activity. And I want people to check it off like a little check, literally a check mark on your day. I did that. I got up. I made my bed. I took a walk. Um, I called one friend. I went to a church service. Um, music. So replace replace TV with music. Uh Breathing exercises. I love breathing exercises. I, I, I have two basic breathing exercises that I teach my patients. They focus on the breathing. You can always count on your breath. It's here. It's now. The, these can all be found on the internet. There are like so many very simple, elegant things that you can do to bring yourself present, bring yourself now uh, without making life complicated. And you can build from there. So music, uh, exercise, church gym if you if you if you have the wherewithal knowing that there are a lot of programs that are actually covered by your insurance um walking walking is great if you if swimming like getting in the pool if you have a pool in your community if you have joints that are if you're older and you have joints that aren't working uh yoga simple yoga and i think those are some simple things to get started well, that sounds good to me. And as far as connecting with people, some of the some of the things, and you know, not looking at the, the government saying uh, that they want to open centers. Oh, get but, rid of negative yeah. stuff. By the way, just <laughs> get get rid of negative stuff too. Ne like negative, uh, turn off the news, uh, turn away negative people, and stop listening yeah. to the government. <laughs> Well, I, I think you're so right on that. In these last couple of seconds, I just think, just say hi to people on the street. Now, 
you know, you have to be careful sometimes. You don't want people to think you're crazy, but when you're they there's something called elevator dialogue that um when my son was really young in school they had them practice and that was like you're in an elevator with somebody and you're the only two people in there you know strike up a little conversation just they're probably feeling uncomfortable and so are you and try it you'll like it it's pretty funny sometimes you might run it and they're actually somebody you know so there's a lot of little things like this and i think doctor when you said be positive and get rid of the negativity i think that's probably some of the best advice i have heard terrific, terrific. so I can't believe our time is up already. There's so many topics and we'll have to have you back. I'd love to talk about drugs and psychiatry and oh, that could medication. Be There's so many things and this is very instructive as well as fun. And uh, I thank you for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. This was this was delightful, and I think we uh, covered a lot of ground. And there's so much more. I think you have a very interesting audience, and I've listened to your show, and I always get something out of your show. You've got just a just a nice slant on things, so it's been fun. Well, thanks again, and thank everybody for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. And remember, if you have any questions, you can just email them in. First names are fine to americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse, and we'll get an answer to you. So all I have to say now is whether you agree or have other opinions, share the show. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.